Hello and welcome to Take My Advice, I'm Not Using It. I'm Ollie Henderson and in this week's show I'm joined by two guests to discuss coaching. The world of work has obviously changed hugely over the past year and has been marked by many of us working remotely. With that, our approach to leadership of organisations and people has had to adapt and evolve, which means that the nature of executive coaching has too. My first guest today has a really interesting perspective on this as a coach, leadership expert and through her involvement in one of the world's leading business schools. Violet Rollins is the Executive Director of London Business School's Leadership Institute and works personally as a consultant and coach with people at top organisations around the world. After following her work via Twitter throughout last year, I contacted Viola to see if she'd be interested in joining me on the podcast to talk about the future of coaching and collaboration. She agreed and suggested inviting another guest who she told me would add yet another unique view. So it was that Bernard Kerris also joined the party. It's hard to describe Bernard's career path in a short sentence, so I'll leave that to him to introduce in a moment, but he would call himself an executive coach using his background in music to revolutionise the way we collaborate in groups in particular. In our conversation, we discussed the challenges presented by remote work on collaboration, mindset and management, and the role of coaching to facilitate change and support individuals. It's an interesting discussion, which also talks about Bernard's fascinating approach of using music to stimulate group coaching sessions. So I hope you enjoy listening. As ever, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it and subscribe. Also, if you'd like to read more about all things work-life design, check out my newsletter, which I link to in the show notes. So without further ado, here's Viola and Bernard. Bernard came to the school one day and did a taster session to give us program directors a taste of um, what he could bring to a program. And I was absolutely mesmerized and blown away. I could remember, Bernard, I needed to actually make sure that I was paying attention because my brain was just going, I can use them here, I can use them here, we can do this, we can look at it. And believe it or not, it took, what, six years after that for us to then find an opportunity. Really? Yeah, I think it was. It was quite a time, I know. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he can't get rid of me. Yeah. Now, so. What did he say, Bernard? I mean, I'm mean, so intrigued. But what, what what happened during that meeting for you to blow Viola away so much? <laughs> I think he was just actually was pretty nervous about that meeting because normally you do facilitation and training and so on and group coaching for corporates. And there I stand in my alma mater in at London Business School in a theater in one of the lecture theaters. I've been sitting there very often. And the room was full with facilitators and program directors and so on. And I was there to present leadership and music and how the two actually relate and what we could do together and give them a bit of a feeling about um, what I teach and how I teach. So it was pretty scary. Yeah, And there mm. right at the back was Viola. And I could see that she was really very, very attentive. But I had no clue what you were thinking at that point. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that that is that is a scenario, isn't it? You're walking into an organisation whose very objective is to to teach, and you're going in to teach them something. So I can imagine that was intimidating. <laughs> and you, you mentioned there your combination of music and coaching, but that's probably really interesting to hear what your background was and why that combination came together. So my background on short is very simple. I started off as an opera singer. I sang with people like Jose Carreras and Agnes Balzer and others. 
but turned around my career, went to London Business School, did a career in te business technology, um, running larger technology companies, one of them stock market listed, and came back to music and ran the Vienna Concert House and have all the experience of running a nonprofit. And a bit late, as sometimes happens in my career, I found the idea to do a startup and brought the LinkedIn for Classical Musicians to Silicon Valley. There were a couple of faults with that, didn't run as smoothly as I wished for, but that really manifested the combination between music and management, leadership and management. And ever since then, that's the combination I run for very good reasons, yeah. Mm. It was wonderfully modest of you to say that as a simple career path. <laughs> I'm not sure what adjective I'd use for mine. It's a lot more simple than that. <laughs> yeah, and Advalo, I know. I mean, I know you are a great fan of the arts and music as well. So presumably, that's that's why you two hit it off. Yeah, Vila has um, an excellent voice. Sorry to interrupt here, but she's no, well, a brilliant like singer yeah. too. I thought well, maybe we could hear some of that later. Only joking. Give it away. Yeah. No. Actually, I <laughs> I I started. I've been singing since I was thirteen. Usually in you know organized groups. So I did a lot of choir work, small ensemble work. I was actually gonna to major in music in college, and I decided I'd have to dramatically change my life and not drink as much red wine and i thought well maybe i'll just um leave it as a <laughs> as a hobby <laughs> and it's something yeah that i've just kept with me doing when i can uh, through the years and um, we can chat later about some of the ways that you guys collaborate but i'm really interested to get a sense about how the last 12 months have played out for you both in your respective jobs and your careers my take generally has been that Clearly, in many ways, the the transition to remote work has affected all of us fundamentally and right. put new constraints on the way that we work. But I think a lot of people have found those constraints to provoke innovation in some way. I'm just interested whether that's been your experience as well and whether there have been any positives from this experience, whether we, in some ways, have been able to collaborate differently. I think for leadership educators, this has been a, a very challenging time, but also one that I think has positively pushed the community to think about what does it really take to make connection with groups in these circumstances. I, I, I think there was a lot of worry at the beginning because a lot of our work, I think it's fair to, to say, is about face-to-face -face interaction, networking. But, you know, I feel, as I said, I think it's, it's really pushed the community to be more creative in terms of thinking about how we can create, you know, the, the spaces for relationship to be made in a, in a virtual environment. And using simple things such as, I, I think I was maybe sharing this with um, Bernard the other day. I worked with a group last year doing a very intense team development intervention and I was I was keen for them to start out by thinking about what they had done well during this period and what they appreciated about one another. So part of the pre-work was getting them to write down on a post-it note an appreciation they had for one of their 
colleagues. And then when we came to the session, yeah. they, they read those out. So everybody got a opportunity to be in the love seat, as I call it. And then after the session, mm. I said, <laughs> right, so what I want you to do is take those post-its and post it to your, to your colleague. So the question itself created a very interesting dynamic online. But then afterwards, they had these post-it notes of appreciation coming in from their colleagues who they had connected with virtually that they could put up on the wall in front of them. And they said to me, that's one of the most weirdly intimate experiences that I've, I've had on online with my, with my colleagues in terms of connection and warmth. So yeah, for me, that's, that's an example of how it's, it's pushed me as a program director or workshop designer to think, well, how, how can I use this as an opportunity to think wider about how I create relationship or help people create relationship as part of the work I do. But you are presumably desperate to get back in into a room with people and yeah. sort of have that face-to-face connection. Yeah, yeah, I do miss it. And the, and of course, the people who I'm, I'm working with. And I think it's going to be a yeah. very interesting journey ahead with the the different sides of, well, we can do this work virtually, but people saying, actually, that there's something missing here. And I guess what I am encouraged yeah. by is people who would potentially dismiss that being together part of leadership development. Not having it, they've realized how important it is. And, and Bernard, I know a lot of your work prior to COVID was face-to-face. I think you are doing a lot of work now virtually aren't you but again I'm, I'm sure there's an element that some aspects of your work translate better to face-to-face interactions yeah I mean I used to work kind of probably 60 70 percent of my time um, virtually already simply for the reason that I work very very internationally but COVID changed out all and I remember March 2020 when you know the year started really well, there were great bookings, there were really amazing things coming up. And in the second week of March, I got one call after the other saying, Bernard, that's terminated, that's postponed, that's terminated. So it was kind of a big shock. And I started reaching out first into my music community and working with musicians, realizing that they are probably hit the hardest worldwide from the pandemic and from not being able to perform. So from that came actually, yeah, a whole academy of now over 200 musicians worldwide from Australia to Chile and from Nigeria to Norway. And realizing that I also saw my, my, my corporate coaching clients, what they miss is actually what Wilder just described a bit is the big, big challenge of working virtually suddenly and remotely of trusting people from working from home, people working from home, having to manage their kids and food and um, cooking and I don't know what, yeah, and the fear of becoming sick. So suddenly the management of that was unbelievably difficult. And then I sat down and thought, hmm, perhaps it's a good idea to combine these two sides somehow. And what we started is what we call musical group coaching. And I'm a big fan of group coaching because working in small groups of four to six corporate executives or managers, leaders, is a fantastic way of peer coaching, which really works well. 
But what we added to that now is that we have a musician with us in these sessions, and we have all the conversations about the leadership challenges because of COVID, the anxieties, the fears, the stress, anything. And when we discussed that, then I kind of hit pause and asked the musician, saying, you've listened to all that. How do you respond musically to that? And these musicians, Zoom session, respond live to what has been said. And the experience of that is absolutely amazing. And participants describe it saying, normally you never get as deep in even in a number of coaching sessions. But because of the music, you hit the emotions, you are on a completely different level. And people who have never met in their life before in real life can actually support each other, be there for each other, learn from each other, and go out of a session with a very positive mindset. So you're, you're literally with people sat in the virtual room in different parts of the world with your musician or multiple musicians, is it? Just one? I always take one musician. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a conversation, is it? The people talk and then they respond or they listen to the group conversation and then create a piece which reflects the the, the, the subject matter. So the musicians listen in and they give them a bit of an introduction why they pick a certain piece or play a certain tune. And when they do that, it's they often play, yeah any kind of short piece or so they've prepared. Some of them actually improvise also. And it is always a response to what has been said before. Viola, have you seen have you seen these sessions in action? No no, I, I haven't. And I I um interesting that Bernard has actually invited me to come along to one of these. Um mm. right? <laughs> Doing some singing, right? Yes. So I Oh I'm, wow, okay. I'm I'm looking forward to to giving that a go. But when he told me about this concept, I was I absolutely thought yes, of course this is this is brilliant. And not to not to sound too hokey yeah. about it, but in terms of the five senses in the classroom, hearing something that's not a voice or pumping content into you. <laughs> I can see is a very different neurological experience and can evoke a different response, a, a different way of your mind processing things. And I think it's, I think it's brilliant. Absolutely great. It reminds me actually, we did my old company, we used to support a local charity and they, they worked with kids who'd come out of care and had real mm-hmm. issues around confidence and being able to express themselves. And uh, they used theater to help them, you know, used, using drama to help them express themselves. And we did a few training session or team bonding sessions with them in which we would sit around and do something which probably most of us would feel just sort of inherently uncomfortable with, which is improvising on the spot through drama. It was without fail an amazing experience where you just see people initially being reticent to put themselves out there but once everybody shared this kind of collective experience you'd see a different side of people a really amazing side of people just letting go and you'd much a much deeper level of communication between the team that you would never really get so even when we're in an office but certainly when you've got this barrier of a screen between you so i can completely imagine i'd uh, i might have to join one of your sessions at some point myself yeah. bernard sounds great <laughs> you're very welcome We've talked there about a new format which you've developed there to, to encourage interaction through virtual coaching. 
what's your experience been of coaching over the past year how's it had to change and I, I know you mentioned that you, you've previously done that uh, virtually Bernard both of you are working with different organizations and individuals has the focus of the coaching sessions had to change has it reflected general angst that we've had which is related to being in the middle of a global pandemic it definitely has changed and I think it is continuing to change the psychological impact of the pandemic is huge on so many levels that we, or I at least, don't actually know what change is coming. And just to point out one of the things I see, because of social distancing, people have significantly less contact with other people. Hmm. And that actually leads to kind of much more limited thinking on bouncing off ideas and getting feedback and so on. So when, you know, a year ago, we had probably 15 people constantly around us, be that our family partners or in the office, talking through ideas, bouncing something off at a coffee or so. And they had 15 people around again, and they had 15 people around again. You see how exponentially that actually grew now, today, we only have probably two, three, four people. And so that is a much flatter curve. And you see that in the thinking where people say, I don't get any outside thinking again anymore. Oh. I miss the interaction. And our thinking has really shrinked there. And that's one of the issues I see of many. Mm -hmm. yeah. What's your experience I, being, Viola? Yeah, I'd, yeah I'd, I'd agree with all that Bernard has said. I mean, I think for me... I have done you know, coaching by phone, coaching by video before, but the thing that's really shifted, of course, is now everybody's on video all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, as a coach, one of the things it's pushed me, again, to do is think differently about how I might design or configure those coaching sessions if somebody's been plastered to their zoom all day and i know that i might suggest that we try and circumstances permitting let's go for a walk let's take our smartphones and go for a walk during our session yeah. or i might ask them to find a different place their residence they can just have a change of scene, a change of perspective, a change of energy when we have our coaching sessions. Do you think demand for coaching, and I understand this might be an anecdotal bit of feedback from you, but do you think demand for coaching, either from in terms of the numbers of people looking for it or perhaps the frequency with which people you know are looking for coaching sessions is that something that's increased my experience is the role of a coach generally of course it's part facilitator and there's also a kind of you know kind of counseling element I've always found and certainly that's been my relationship with my coach over the years it has, has that do you think led to more people looking at coaching as a useful outlet during this period yeah I think it's the pandemic has yeah, threaten us, but also opened up new opportunities for so many people. And having somebody, an objective outsider to discuss that, to reflect that ways, 
has been for many really, really useful. And I have had clients during the pandemic who completely changed their careers, who did other things, who stepped up. And they found that very, very helpful. And they probably wouldn't have done it if it weren't for the pandemic and if it weren't for coaching. Right. I'm intrigued without breaking confidence, of course. What have the sort of fundamental career changes been? Is it? I mean, I'm imagining in my head somebody who was uh, in a desk job and is now pursuing their, the interest that they've had all their lives but have never had the, the courage to do. Am I, am I just being very creative in my thinking now? <laughs> <laughs> that happens, absolutely. People who have been in the office every day, working long hours, having realized that that's probably not what they really want to do and being faced with the pandemic and sometimes having people who have fallen ill or even have having died close to them kind of was a wake-up call for them saying, I want to spend more time there or there. I want to pursue that career option. And they have been, some of them have been very, very creative about it and very courageous and yeah. um, I've seen people starting completely new career paths very successfully in a time where you thought, wow, how is that actually possible? I'm conscious just for, for people listening who might not be as familiar with coaching in, in the sense of like kind of corporate coaching or life coaching. I, I wonder if one of you might be able to explain from your point of view what the role of a coach is. And, and I'm also interested, I suppose, how that what the difference is between maybe a coach and a mentor as well in terms of the coaching i do the primary focus is performance or development coaching so i will work with leaders managers individuals that may be around their leadership effectiveness delegation leading change thinking about strategy so there's always a a performance context to to the coaching that I do but one of the things I feel is important even though you have that performance focus is being interested in the in the whole person so even though I'm focusing on performance I'm always keen to know what's going on with their teams with their boss in the organization mm. and more importantly with their family with yeah. their health, with their aspirations outside of their role. And for me, that's where I think that multifaceted dynamic approach to you're actually looking at the experience of the whole person. The whole person and also the system around them and the people around them. And perhaps coming a bit back to your question between mentoring and coaching, if I may share a bit kind of my path into coaching i used to be mentored i had mentors i was a mentor and people asked me then to coach them and i took it very very lightly at the beginning to think oh that's easy until i really studied it and got my certification and continue a path of probably never-ending learning on coaching and concepts and supervision and everything which belongs to that and the big difference for me is, and that sometimes shocks people, is I don't advise them. I don't tell them what to do. I don't even give them my experience because my experience does not actually count. And it's my experience was on a certain time, in a certain circumstances, which my coachee, my client, has completely different circumstances. So it's not helpful. 
what I try to do is with my client to open up a safe thinking space, a space where they can ponder ideas, where they get sometimes challenging questions to think about something they haven't seen yet or explore with them areas which they would like to have somebody to go into with them, at least at the beginning. So I see myself very much as a kind of a sounding board, as somebody challenging people, as somebody opening up that safe space for thinking and speaking through things they normally would not address in their everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think mentoring is often construed as someone who's more senior, more experienced, passing their their wisdom and strategies down to another person. But in my view, the most powerful mentors are ones who can create the space that Bernard uh, has talked about for exploration, coaching, asking those open questions and really drawing out the experience of the mentee. From the context of coaching training, do you think there's an inherent advantage to having life experience to becoming a coach? So I think I'm thinking, I suppose, if you contrast perhaps someone who's recently finished their undergraduate degree, decides that I want to be a coach, does the coaching training. Do, do they have the potential to be as strong a coach at that stage as you might, let's say, 20 years down the line when you've had various experiences in career and life? It Does experience give you something that you can't replicate, even allowing for the same training? I think it does. And if I can put that into a picture if you see life and even your career and your business steps as a garden and the coach is the gardener there and he shows you a bit or he opens up the door into that beautiful garden, an experienced gardener knows also corners of that beautiful garden he or she has actually maintained for a long time, which somebody who hasn't been so long in that garden probably doesn't really know. And so I think with certain experiences, you can open up certain areas of thoughts, of thinking, of, yeah, of a corner in the garden others probably haven't seen yet and haven't explored themselves yet. What do you think of the idea which has become commonly talked about recently, that the notion of management and the manager has changed over the past year? So if you, again, Mm. let's go back go back 12 months and, and and i'd suggest perhaps just to preempt this that this wouldn't be a sign of a great manager but there was sort of an idea that the the manager's role was to observe their the people who work for them in action and mm-hmm. to kind of keep a check on it and provide prompts and uh, make sure that they're tracking to their targets or they're hitting the objectives as agreed and it was very much a sense of being in the room with people mm-hmm. now obviously we virtually have tried to recreate that idea and those companies that haven't done that quickly enough haven't adapted very well frankly but the the idea that you can do that is simply just it's not possible anymore mm-hmm. now whatever happens when we return to the office it's unlikely we'll return 100 percent of the time and there's this idea that managing is or, or managers need to become more like coaches or facilitators so 
what are the skills required to make that change? And do you agree that that's actually makes sense from a management point of view? That the requirements of the role are different and therefore certain skills are either going to have to be acquired or taught to managers to, to work in a different way? Yeah. 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 No, I I absolutely believe that's true. I think given you know, the the context of doing business in the 21st century, it's much more complex. It's much more global. It's much more uncertain or volatile in terms of what it will bring to organizations or leaders in terms of their challenges. So all of those things, I feel, do mean that the manager and the leader need to take a different role and, and build some different kind of skills. And I, I guess for me, the, the, one of the key skills is focusing on getting very good at talking about the outcome that you're trying to achieve with a team or when you delegate something uh, to someone. Because I think if you can be very clear, if leaders and managers can be very clear on articulating what good looks like, it gives space for individuals then to carry that out and pursue that in in a way that gives them freedom allows them to develop allows them to to be engaged with the work at hand and and i know yeah. th- this situation has made better <laughs> managers and leaders out of many people that i know and i and i cope because it's 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 forcing them to to develop a different a different skill set because as you said they're they're they don't have the access. Yeah. Yeah. So a really, really good point about outcomes. I was, I was chatting to the head of people, a fast growing tech business this morning. We were talking about the idea that one of your colleagues actually, Viola, Dan Cable's written about job crafting. Yeah. And this is the idea that you as an individual would bring your foremost skills to the table and adapt your role to, to make best use of that. But of course, the, the challenge you have when you're the individual is that you have to understand very clearly what the objectives of the business are, what the outcomes are for which you're responsible. And I think it is actually challenging for a lot of businesses to articulate that, isn't it? People tend to re- revert to numbers, KPIs or OKRs uh-huh. and these types of things to, to try and measure them, but they're not particularly clear often about what they those clear outcomes are. And unless they can articulate that, it makes it much more difficult, I think, from a management point of view and for the person being managed to adapt their roles and craft their roles in in an effective way. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that the pandemic has actually a very positive impact on leadership and what how we think about leadership. And you pointed out beforehand that we still had or were living a leadership model, which I would even call not from the 20s, but from the 19th century. Mm. There were still the remainders of command and control there. And society has changed so much. The world has moved on and so much. So it was more than time to do that. With now suddenly managing a workforce, partly working from home, internationally anyway, across borders, cultures, and so on, the whole command control and even the remainders which were still there didn't really work. The pandemic is the great opportunity to completely rethink that. And I remember back actually about a year ago when I did an interview for Forbes after the Global Peter Trucker Forum. And putting in out the notion that the role of the leader is much more of a node in a network 
than actually somebody who tells people or controls people what to do. If you are not in a network, you need to know kind of what the network is for and where, what it connects and what the benefit is. Yeah? Mm. But you also need to know actually to share the right information, to be there for the others, for making sure that information goes through really quickly. And that's not only your team or your staff, that's also shareholders, that's society, that's the environment, and, and, and. So it's much more, much bigger. And understanding which information needs to go through when, what, and what is relevant for whom, and being this really proactive node in a network of great people and working with great people, I think, is one of the things which is definitely missing in today's world. Mm. Yeah, and I know the analogy, just building on that, I know the analogy has been around for a long time, but, you know, I I do see the role of the leader as as an orchestrator. Uh, and do do know, I when I talk about leadership, I don't necessarily see that as a role. I see that as a behavior. So I think I have the belief that leadership can manifest at any level in a system from from any individual. But again, I do feel that it's it's about it's orchestrating, connecting, pulling together different individuals different components within a system building on Viola's analogy i see actually jazz and lincoln center right in front of me with winton masalis who built it up and who is the leader of jazz and lincoln center and what i found so fascinating is that winton without a doubt is the leader of that band but very often he sits at the back row with all the trumpets and enjoys listening to the whole band, enjoys mm. to his colleagues actually standing in front of the band playing their solos, always listening very, very carefully to them, just to then at some point getting up humbly playing his own solo and going back mm. and applauding the others for the great work they have done. And what we can learn from that is that, first of all, acknowledging and giving the space to others to play their solos, to be out there, is really important. And the other thing is, with any kind of orchestra or band or so, they have this inherent will to perform well, to bring out a great performance. And that works so well. And I think that comes back a bit to all this question about if there's a purpose in a company, if they know why they are there, I don't need KPIs or something like that because people will follow that purpose. Yeah, that is a, that is a great yeah, point. Beautiful, a great analogy. beautiful analogy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, both of you, to speak to me today. We have had a few technical issues along the way, but I've really enjoyed the conversation and uh, I really appreciate all your thoughts. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you so much. That was my conversation with Viola Rollins and Bernard Kerris. Next week, I'll be discussing one of the most pressing issues for many of the businesses I'm speaking to at the moment, burnout. How has this changed over the past year and what can we do to mitigate its risk in the future? Find out from my guest, Jennifer Moss, who has also started a five-week series in Harvard Business Review this week to help diagnose and manage burnout among teams. In the meantime, please subscribe to the podcast, the newsletter, and if you have a moment, please leave a review and rate the podcast. Have a great week.